It may seem like I am putting the cart before the horse, relating the story of the Magi before Christmas is even here. And I have been guilty a time or two of flipping to the end of a book to see what happens before resuming my reading. Perhaps I'm looking for a good ending or something to give me hope that all this reading will be worth it. I suppose that we can all relate to this desire to determine the outcome of our efforts. This time of year, the season of giving is complex. We may be feeling the demands and pressures of gifting to various people and trying to wade through the marketing schemes of the latest and greatest products. Darn, capitalism. There's the worry that we feel that a receiver may not appreciate your gift, or perhaps you have grand plans to make all of your holiday presents, and now you've realized you've gotten in way over your head. You've got a couple days left to get it done. Maybe gifting is beyond your means right now, or perhaps you are uncertain if you have anyone to reciprocate. Oh, these swirling struggles. They sometimes diminish our capacity to focus on what is truly important. Let's consider the spiritually rich stories of the Magi and the fauna. These scholars, astrologers, diviners, dream interpreters, bakers, these are my kind of people claimed by some to be magicians and sorcerers, the Magi are now mostly viewed as kings. A side note here, though, from our reading, if you are paying close attention, the Magi are never given masculine pronouns, nor are they numbered. So it really could have been a whole party of traveling mystics. And Bifana, which is Italian for witch, gives Santa competition in Italy and other parts of the world for most generous beloved. But their simple stories reveal individuals who are curious, determined, and generous in bringing joy and ease. Pope Francis once called on the faithful to be like the Magi. He said, if we want to find Jesus, we have to overcome our fear of taking risks, our self-satisfaction and our indolent refusal to ask anything more of life. We need to take risks simply to meet a child. And those risks are immensely worth the effort since in finding that child, in discovering his tenderness and love, we discover ourselves. And that applies to any child if you have a relationship with them. Can you imagine if we are like the Magi and Bafana today, risking our holiness, or risking our comforts to know the holiness of a child, or all children really, how that might transform our lives? Risk-taking is a huge step on the generosity path. Even when adult Jesus talks about the Good Samaritan, that foreign traveler who helped an injured merchant, 
we see that the Samaritan takes great risks to help someone in need. To have a generous spirit means to put ourselves in others' shoes. And then this empathy, I hope, cultivates a whole new framing from which to perceive the world. This is why we give, to simply do what we can to express more love to others and in the process change ourselves for the better. Love will guide us. And Robin Wall Kimmerer adds her story to the generosity path. She models a whole different way of orienting to the world that aligns with our Unitarian Universalist values. She pushes up against a capitalist mindset. And I freely admit that this is really challenging because as Mark um, Ewart, who is an author, tells us, money holds great power and meaning in our society. So it's difficult. But Kemmerer says gratitude and reciprocity are the currency of a gift economy. And they have the remarkable property of multiplying with every exchange, their energy concentrating as they pass from hand to hand, a truly re renewable resource. I accept the gift from the bush and then spread that gift with a dish of berries to my neighbor, who then makes a pie to share with his friend, who feels so wealthy in food and friendship that he volunteers at the food pantry. And you know how this goes. She goes on to say, to name the world as gift is to feel one's membership in the web of reciprocity. It makes you happy and it makes you accountable. Conceiving of something as a gift changes your relationship to it in a profound way. Even though the physical makeup of the thing has not changed, a woolly hat that you purchase at the store will keep you warm, regardless of its origin. But if it was hand-knit by your favorite auntie, then you are in relationship to that thing in a very different way. You are responsible for it, and your gratitude has motive force in the world. You're likely to take much better care of that gift hat than the commodity hat because it is knit of relationships. This is the power of gift thinking. And I imagine if we acknowledge that everything we consume is the gift of Mother Earth, we would take better care of what we are given. Mistreating a gift has emotional and ethical gravity as well as ecological resonance. So the generosity path requires an attitude change about giving, a brave retooling of how we interact, moving from a posture of scarcity and fear to one of abundance and love. And this journey calls for an expansiveness to what we know about generosity. The stories we tell illustrate those who model the art of giving. And for our children especially, this modeling is formational. And I think this is why, regardless of theological perspective, 
we tell the ancient stories like the Magi and Bifana again and again. I was thinking back to my own childhood for a story of loving kindness that I experienced, and I remembered Rose. Rose was the longtime cashier at a local mom-and-pop drugstore that my parents frequented on Main Street in the little borough where we lived in New Jersey. And I don't know if my mom seemed harried bringing three little children into the shop, but every time we went in there, Rose knew our names, and she would talk to us and my mom, sharing little pleasantries. And before we would leave, she would always give my siblings and I the fancy red lollipops that she kept right by the register. And it was such a treat. Rose felt like a grandmother to me, especially since mine lived so far away. And to this day, I can't taste a red cherry lollipop without thinking of Rose. And this was such a tiny gesture, but it meant a lot to me. And I'm not sure if Rose gave lollipops to every kid who came through the checkout line. It doesn't really matter. She influenced me to pay it forward. Rose was an excellent philanthropist and maybe Bafana in disguise. Most people probably think of philanthropists as those wealthy donors who sponsor NPR radio programs or the King Magi delivering expensive gifts to the Holy Child. But the truth is the term philanthropist is available to all of us. From the Greek philian, which means to love, and anthropos, anthropos means humankind. So it means to love humankind. That's what it means to be a philanthropist. So we should claim that word in our UU communities. Mark Ewart says, as an adult, possibly the best learning environment for generosity is a community where everyone shares similar values, develops in generosity together, and exercises their giving collectively. So look around this room, and I bet there are tons of stories among the good people here that could tell you about their experiences of giving and receiving this loving kindness. And perhaps after the service, you could share with somebody while we're having lovely baked goods, share with somebody a story about who taught you about generosity. Who taught you about generosity? We know there are lots of ways to grow our practice of generosity, sharing time and talents and treasures, for instance. And if this concept feels too big or you're overwhelmed, then start where you are. Start small, like a lollipop. The simple gift of presence is particularly valuable. Or choose a mission that feels good to you and direct your energies there. And if you need support or guidance, just look around because this is a sacred place of tremendous generosity. Now, I know that many of you are well along the path and are excellent givers, maybe too excellent. 
to strengthen your spiritual practice of generosity, this must include healthy boundaries. So it's important to choose your giving wisely. Those wise magi people, they were savvy about this. After visiting Jesus, they didn't go back and blab to Herod. They just went on home, maintaining their integrity. When you love people, a place, a mission, it's so easy to give it your all. But this leads to burnout. And that's a tragedy for everyone. So we must be able to say a holy no in order to say a hell yes. <laughs> Being generous also includes yourself. So how are you being kind to yourself, especially right now when this can be such a chaotic season? Are you a good receiver? As you use, we love our independence and our self-reliance, but this can be costly and lonely. In the art of giving, we must also attune our gratitude to those who are willing to offer us help. And as we grow our souls in this practice, it's okay to be awkward and muddle along sometimes as we figure out how to give and receive, because that's what it means to be in beloved community. Beloved community benefits from the ideas like Kimmerer's perspective on gift economy, on appreciating the small wonders of life, whether that's the delicious service berry fruits, a hand-knit hat, or time together with loved ones. In my newsletter this month, I wrote about the Danish concept of huga, spelled H-Y-G-G-E, pronounced huga, and the idea that the best gift is getting cozy together. Perhaps this is what Bafana is longing for, as she searches for the holy child, she is yearning for connection. And I wonder if the Magi felt through the awe of mystery, a connection, when they finally found this holy child. Did their desire to be generous stem from an understanding of interdependence, that our lives are bound up with this child, with all children? Deepak Chopra said, giving connects two people, the giver and the receiver. And this connection gives birth to a whole new sense of belonging. And this, my friends, is the beauty of giving, a flourishing of belonging. And we have journeyed to the end of the Advent season, to the impending birth of the Holy Child, we welcome the return of the sun and we arrive at that most anticipated jolly day. I hope that you will continue to practice your generosity here in this congregation and beyond with your hearts centered on the mission to be beacons of light, warm hands of help in the community, and soft cushions of encouragement to all ages but especially for our children, because they're all of our children. Ewart says, in the end, being generous is an affirmation of hope in the future. 
It activates hope and provides a reason to hope. You give to someone so that their life improves and through your gesture of love, you may also help to increase their hopefulness. This affirmation of hope is often realized here at Neshoba. Many have answered the call to the generosity path, and we honor and affirm you. In this season of giving, may we be inspired by the stories of people who held the mind of curiosity, the fortitude of determination, and the loving kindness of spirit. May you have a happy solstice, a blessed Yule, and a Merry Christmas. Amen.